Hey, this is your Olympic hero, Kurt Angle, and I don't suck, and neither does the Pipples podcast, but anyone who plays the Riders, they suck. Oh, it's true. It's damn true. Let's go, Rider Nation. I'm ready. I'm ready. Here we go. That's the Arcana Kings. This is the Piffles Podcast, your Saskatchewan Rough Riders fan podcast. My name is Alex. I'm Steve. And I'm the name you mustn't touch. Uh, We're to the max, baby. Power to the max. That's right. Welcome to our new viewers watching on Sastel Max On Demand. We're super excited to, uh, to reach a new audience and bring more of Rider Nation into the Piffles Podcast and bring the Pivils podcast to more of Rider Nation. We're super excited for this. And um, I'm looking forward to seeing how, how it all goes. So I know we talked about this earlier, guys. You're, you guys are super pumped as well. And uh, that, that was the whole basis of your countdown, Greg, was uh, yes. your jersey countdowns. Yes, good old. Uh, my favorite, though, is Sandro, Sandro DeAngelis, because that still I does for- not look right. I forgot he was on the Riders. I really did. When I saw that, I was like, that's that's Sandro DeAngelis. He's he, yeah, he was on the riders. That's right. And he, and he so, was that banjo bowl, and I think he won it for us that year, too. It was weird. Yeah, that's weird right. Weird time yeah. to be a rider fan. <laughs> that was a good time. Um, so for those of us, for those who don't know, why the Piffles podcast? Why is that the name of the riders fan podcast? Well, it's very simple. We started the show back in 2016, and that was the last season at old Taylor field. And we thought, well, what can we name the show to kind of honor Taylor field? Well, what better way than to have the name Piffles in with Neil Piffles Taylor and hence the Piffles podcast. So if you're wondering why there's a, you know, a bit of a different name, why it's not like the writer, the writer something or whatever, you know, something lame like that. That's why. So uh, hopefully uh, people will get that. And uh, we look forward to, seen people on the Piffles podcast um, throughout. So um, you can give us a follow on Twitter or X, X. as it is um, at Piffles pod. I'm at real Alex D as you can see. Find me at Sapamod. And I do not need nor want your pity follows at Greg on sports. I got it right this time. You got it right. That's right. Uh, practicing all this time for TV. Oh, uh, I check- have been like I, in a mirror every day. <laughs> Uh, you can check us out on Facebook as well. Of course, Piffles Podcast is brought to you by our great friends on Elphinstone Street and Sass Drive in Regina. We have, oh my goodness, this game against Ottawa. It was another game at Mosaic Stadium of the roller coaster of emotions. We got to talk about it. It's time for the opening kickoff. It was a wild and willy affair. That's all I can tell you. It was, it was a wild game. Now let's okay. So the Riders win twenty six twenty four, improving their record to five hundred to four and four, which uh, was really really important. We're going to talk about the standings a little bit later on, um, and the idea of a crossover. But Calgary winning last week really put the pressure on the Riders. I said it wasn't a must-win game, but I, as the weekend kind of went on, I was thinking this it really is a must-win game for the Riders. They pulled it out, and that's the important thing. Um, what I really liked about this game, guys, is that Mason Fine finally scored touchdowns on the first drive of the game right off the bat, and then the first drive of the third quarter. So opening each half with touchdown drives, you know, took the proverbial monkey off his back, and all the weight, all the pressure that was on his shoulders just seemed to be lifted. And he was able to go out there and play. And he played well. He played his best game. He's progressing very well, I think, over the last couple of weeks. And that was the biggest thing for me, was he was able to kind of just channel all this energy. You know he was going to have it to get a touchdown, to lead touchdown drives. They did it, and they won. And I thought Mason Fine had his best game. One thing I like the one seeing... Thing I noticed... Go ahead. 
the the one thing I noticed was the the difference between the play style. You know, we we've been watching that short stuff all week long or all career long for Mason Fine. That passed to Sean Bain Jr. I don't think he could have put that in his hands any better. What it a was throw. a beautifully thrown ball. That yeah. It was dead on. It was perfect. Great throw, great catch. As somebody who picked Bain in fantasy this week, I was a little worried that he wasn't doing much in the first half, and that shut me up real quick. We we got what we needed out of Mason Fine. There are no complaints. But that's one thing we talked about last week is they need to start pushing it down the field because if not, those short little dinks and dunks that helped Jared Stern, which helped open the running game for Morrow, wasn't going to happen. You had to keep those defensive backs honest because if they can start playing closer to the line, those little plays aren't going to get you anything. And how about Jared Stern making, Jared- oh. yeah, making a CFL debut and uh, going to him right off the bat to start the game a couple times? He looked, I'm not going to make the comparison to Weston Dressler, but he had that little flash of a Weston Dressler in him. And if they can get that underneath game going and you have a deep receiver like Tevin Jones and, and Sean Bain that can make big plays, that's a, all of a sudden that's a very, very not scary receiving group, but you're going to have to game plan around a lot of guys. Stearns did two nope. things I really, really liked. He came back to the ball a couple times for fine to make sure that fine had a target. And the one he caught the ball and then turned. And instead of just running right into a tackler, he did this stutter step, made the tackler overcommit, and then took it for extra yards. Like he's doing, he did the little things in his first game that, yeah, shows you he could be something in this league if they have a chance to, to get him playing time. But there's a lot of guys coming back from injury, and I don't know what we're going to do with all these receivers. What I've been saying all week was exactly what this team needs is another starting receiver to to show up and make things even more muddy for that that depth chart. Because where do you fit all these guys? You got Bain, Emelis, Jones, and now Stearns all, you know, realistically lighting it up when they're when they're given their chance. It's a great problem to have, but who sits? Just nonstop success in that receiving core which is nice to see and i i gotta give jake winnicky some too here he was catching everything thrown his way uh he took a shot in the middle of the field too oh yeah and like he was making some hard like challenging catches and he wasn't jake frying pan hands i'm going to downgrade him to walk at this point because at least at least there's something you can grab the ball with um you mentioned the getting the run game going and Jamal Morrow had that touchdown, obviously. I I didn't think the run game, they kept going to it and going to it and going to it and it didn't do anything. Like what they have 16 rushes for like 55 yards. Like it just, it wasn't going. And that include Mason Fine's scrambles as well. He needs to learn how to slide, but I appreciate the toughness of wanting to go for the extra yards. He slid um, once, but the, I, I'd explain to my kids what, what he was doing when he slid like that. <laughs> um, but this run game, it's been multiple games in a row where we've wanted to see more and they just haven't been able to get a push on the O-line. My question to you guys, do you think this is an O-line issue, which we've talked about ad nauseum over the last year and a half here on the show, um, or is it just way too predictable play calling? Because teams know they're going to run it and they know what the formations are. Like They're not being creative with the run game. Yes. No, seriously. Um, with Mason, I, one thing I like that they were doing is they were doing a lot more RPOs or run pass options, which was working really good until they had that disastrous pullback where the, the fumble that, that the Ottawa got, jumped all over. But with that run pass option, at least it's going to keep those defenders honest a bit. And, you can make that decision to wheel Mason out, give it to Morrow. And it was working in the first half, not for a ton of yardage, mind you, but it was helping that offense move the ball, which is half the battle right there. The, the yards are going to come. You, you you want a situation where Morrow gets those, like he was in the beginning of the season, getting those yards in the fourth quarter, trying to kill the clock. That's the reason why he had those really high yardage games is because, 
a lot of that was fourth quarter yardage. Right now, they're in way too many close games or they're running behind where they can't afford to hand the ball off a lot. Honestly, yes is the correct answer to, to the question. You've got 90% of the problem is on the offensive line. They're not getting any push. There's no openings for Morrow to run through. And we saw it with Hickson, too, in his limited uh, action. He couldn't find any holes either. But it is also a predictability issue. I know the first play of the game, we ran it uh, just off the side, or I think it was just up the middle. And I turned to Furlan beside me, and I said, this is a run. I, I shouldn't know that from my spot. I shouldn't be able to point out a run without any hesitation. If I can do it, I'm pretty sure the uh, the 12 guys in the field are sitting there licking their chops and uh, re ready to take them down. It's not not a good recipe for success. So there is definitely an issue of predictability. But I, I find it hard to knock on the O-line this week, given they did the job keeping Mason fine upright all game. They, so they actually had mops. They had their best game pass protecting, I thought, all season long. And yeah, Fine took a couple hits. Um, but generally speaking, that was the best they've played all year, especially going up against uh, Lorenzo Malden, who's turned into one of the top three defensive ends in the league. So I thought they did a, did a really good job uh, pass blocking. And I thought the play calling was was really good. It was a lot of quick releases, but they did press the ball down the field as well, too. There was that long pass to Sam Emelis, who made a great catch. Um, so I, I'm not going to harp too much on that this week, um, mostly because everybody wants to talk about Jake Dolagala and short yardage offense. And so I think we can put to uh, put to rest the the idea of fine versus Dolagala for at least another week. Um, so we're going to start doing Dolagala versus Patterson, and that's and that's exactly it. What's the point of having a short yardage quarterback if you're going to put your non short yardage quarterback in there? I get it. The guy's huge. He's six seven, and getting a yard should not be very hard in the CFL. But twice. It almost cost the team the game. It looked like they tried to give it away. Why is Shea, pa Shea Patterson is the guy to run that play or to run it to the outside on that formation? Um, the fumble just, I mean, that was kind of a fluke thing just because he was laying on on top of the, the Ottawa defender who just happened to rip the ball out. And I mean, I we knew he wasn't down right away. And that was... Oh, but to do it again after that, that was, to me, that was unacceptable. I, I stand by, he got it that on that second one, it, it was a terrible spot, but you're never going to be able to challenge it. And they're not going to overturn it. Cause you can't on those plays. You can't see where the ball is anyway. You, at that point, the refs are just guessing if he crossed the line or not. And it's based on where the bodies are when they peel off the pile. Yeah, Dalagal is not your short yardage guy. I don't know why they started that. I've I I saw someone trying to say that uh, Patterson is injured. Maybe he is. I don't know. But if that's the case, Dalagal is still not your short yardage guy. But fine out there at that point. If he's injured, why is he on the game day roster at this point? No, I he, think he got he banged signed. up in the game. I think he got banged up during the game, supposedly. But they, but they it, ran Dolagala last week too. This, it seems like they the coaching is, the coaching staff is trying to make Dolagala your your short yardage guy for those situations to get him on the field, and maybe part of it is planning for you know those second and one fakes down the road because he does have a cannon of an arm, and if you ever pull back and and go deep like we saw last, this past game, was I don't know if it was Fine or Dolagala that did it that did it, or no it was Calgary it was uh, yeah, it wasn't us. Ottawa yeah, it was Ottawa it. that did it, not us. Ottawa but did it. having having Dolagala out there for that isn't a bad thing. But Patterson's your guy. He's why this is why you kept him around for those Patterson packages. He's your mobile quarterback. He's your guy that you you run out there on short yardage, and yet they've gone completely away from it. And it's almost bit us in the backside multiple times. It's got to stop. I I think that experiment was put to bed. Hopefully this past week, and you get Patterson back out there next week. And I think this comes down to coaching and just 
maybe out coaching yourself. I mean, obviously if Patterson's injured, then I get, that's what you do, but you also have Nick Marshall uh, who ran short yardage from his team a few years ago. So, I mean, he could absolutely step in and do that. Um, But okay. Well, coaching, coaching decisions. This whole game just felt like both coaches, Bobby Dice and Craig Dickinson were trying to give the other team the win. Both teams tried to lose this at game. The end, at the end, yes. I, at, in the second half, both coaches went from very bold to very bland. It was... But but Dick, Dickie sending out that fake field goal package, and the minute I saw Dolagal out there and not Corsac, I'm like, are they faking this? And Ottawa bit all over it. Like, like th- both coaches in the, fir- in the first half were going for it, and then the second one, you could tell both coaches are very nervous about their tenure because they just decided to pull back the playbook for some reason. Well, I can't imagine right now that Bobby Dice is all that worried about his, you know, his contract right now. He's taken a terrible football team and put them back into the playoff race. We all had them bottom of the standings to begin with, but Dickie is absolutely on the hot seat. I mean, I don't think I've laughed at a tweet harder than your, you know, the, Dickie, Dickie, when he finds out his job is safe for another week, tweet that was that was some solid. Hey, everyone! Er, everyone work. loves that one. Yeah, it, it celebrating went from painters the, uh... to chefs to coffee enthusiasts. <laughs> everyone loves that one. Um, and that uh, was based off Lothar's fifty-four yard field goal. Which, um, yeah, we've been a little bit tough on Brett Lothar this year, who's honestly kind of deserved it up until this point. I think because not because he's doing poorly by any means. I mean, but our expectations are so high of Brett Lothar being the top kicker in the league or the second top kicker in the league that we expect him to make every single kick. And when he doesn't hit one, then it's like, what are you doing, Matt? That's your job, right? So we wanted the competition to come in early in the season. It did. Uh, Campbell Fair now since released as well. The question was, is Lothar's leg good to go? And I mean, nailing a 54 yarder in the clutch like that, he's good to go. So uh, Brett Lothar is back. And I mean, as long as he's hitting those kicks, they're going to win a lot of football games. Oh, you knew Lothar's back the minute the watch tap came out because he booted that thing. And I, I, full disclosure, I'm in my seat going, go for the single, take it to overtime. Because to be fair, and I love the man, but Lothar hasn't had it this year. So I was very nervous going into that game because if he's short, we're screwed. If he's doesn't have enough, if he's even if he's wide and doesn't get through the end zone, we're losing that game probably. But yeah, he had a good he was a good five, six yards deep, so his leg is back to where it needs to be. I mean, we we went out for drinks afterwards and we all were toasting Brett effing Lothar all all night long. How do you not love the guy? Do you love the turnaround? And what that's going to do for his confidence going forwards is the big marker for me. He needed that kick almost as much as the team. Because now he can look back at that and go, okay, I can do this. I've got this all figured out. You know, he went, was it four for four, three for three? Yeah, it was four for four. And three of them were obviously gimmies. But to boot that 54-yarder, that's not that's no gimme in any professional league. So it's, uh, it's good to see him get his confidence back. We all love the guy. You know, we're, we're all rooting for him. Hopefully that can carry over into the weeks to come because we can use that. And uh, speaking of a guy kind of turning things around and getting back into the groove of things, Anthony Lanier with a hat trick of sacks uh, looked like the dominating force that we saw last season before he got injured. That's the guy that they need. It opened up uh, Pete Robertson a few times to make tackles for losses and opened up more of the interior to get pressure on Dustin Crum. Um, They got a lot of pressure on Crum. They got, what, five sacks and probably could have had a few more as well. So to see Lanier getting back into it, um, that was the big thing on defense for me. The rest of the defense played very well. Again, they were putting bad situations by special teams and the Riders offense the entire game. Uh, so basically to hold Ottawa to all those field goals 
and the one touchdown wasn't on the defense. Uh, they did another solid job, but if that's the defense we're going to get going forward, then this team is going to be very, very competitive, even up against you know the BCs and the tr- and the the Winnipeg's coming up. I think one thing we've to me seen... it wasn't just the sacks; it was it was the timing of a lot of them. A lot of them came right after some of those brutal turnovers deep in our own end, and you'd see it instantly. I think I think two of those turnovers were inside the twenty-five, and they ended up with negative yards and kicking a field goal, either sacks or penalties or a combination thereof. That to me is just as important as the number of them. It's, it's the timing they got through when they needed to six sacks is a great game at any point. Oh, they were getting play from everybody. Um, Corte Lake Moore with a sack as well. Um, linebackers look good. I, I can only think of one play where Moncrief thought he was going to crumb was going to run. So you came up and then left the receiver behind him wide open for a first down. But other than that, I can't think of too many plays going. What were they thinking? The defense as always p- playing very, very well. And that's what has kept us in the games with the Toronto's with the BCs. It's just sometimes our offense and our special teams just have not kept up, kept up to it. Uh, you know who had a really good game, I thought, was uh, Jeremy Clark. Uh, he's had a couple rough games this season. I thought he had uh, easily his best game of the year and looked like the guy that we saw last year uh, making some big-time knockdowns and just got to learn how to tackle instead of just hitting with the shoulders. Use your arms, wrap I'm guys up. But sick that's sick of a, seeing that shoulder check. That's a pandemic yeah. across pro football for all defensive backs. They just want to get the hit. Uh, no, wrap the guy up. So I'd like to see more of that. But Jeremy Clark had a had a really good game. So um, that was that was nice to see. Um, the other thing about this game um, was the shift of the ratio. And uh, news came down after our episode last week that uh, Braden Linius back on the six game list. How are they going to work the ratio with that? Well, Charbel De Beer ended up starting. And uh, uh, Greg, you and I were talking just before the show that. Um, that's probably going to be the way it goes for, at least until Keen Schaefer Baker's back. Um, cause you can have Micah Johnson as the designated American, uh, that can play 49% of those snaps. So it's, I mean, the D lines a rotation anyway. Um, so with that little DA loophole that, uh, teams can pull, not going to see much of a, not much of a difference there on who we're going to see on the D line. Um, but that just allows Jareth Stearns to start, especially when Mitch Pickton's out. So uh, the Riders going from having very, very good receiver depth Canadian-wise to having Sam Amelis. That's it, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, so at least they have, you know, the guys elsewhere that they can, you know, move around and, and make things work. So that was uh, that was the big shift of the ratio. So I'm curious how it's going to work when everybody's healthy and coming back, when you get Darrell Walker, Keen Schaefer Baker, um, exactly how they're going to make their roster work. But we saw a very, very determined team. I thought this game that played like it was a must win game and they made it a lot harder on themselves in the fourth quarter than it should have been. But bottom line, they pulled it out. Nobody, nobody's talking about the, win against Edmonton uh, on the, on the Rouge, which just goes to show you, they don't ask how, just how many. And right now the riders sitting at four and four third place in the West and staying ahead of the uh, Calgary Stampeders, which was very important. So overall um, good game for the riders, obviously still lots to work on, but you're half, not even halfway through the season yet. So, um, but I've never seen so many fans upset with a head coach after a loss or after a win. I've never seen it like this before. People are still saying Craig Dickinson should get fired after this game. Guys, it's not going to happen. It's not happening at all this year. It might happen after Grey Cup, but even then, they're just not going to renew his contract. So anybody thinking that Craig Dickinson is going to get fired, sorry, it's it's not happening. Yeah, if it hasn't happened yet, it's not going to happen now. Those going to ride out to the end of the year. So... Hang on, there's going to be a lot of players being loved by the end of this season. Well, Speaking of Nick, you know how nice it is to sit and look at a game and not be questioning 
our own team's coaching decision at the end. We didn't bring it up, but Ottawa's decision to kick the field goal from the one-yard line. Good call or bad call? I mean, hindsight is twenty twenty. Obviously, it was a terrible call in hindsight, but at the time, it was a terrible the call. Touchdown there, right? Alex and I were talking about this before the show. 100%. The minute that uh, um, they sent out their field goal unit, I'm like, okay, this is good. We got a shot. Because if they if they would have got it, got the touchdown, I don't think the Riders could have had enough time to score the way the offense was playing at that point. And I still believed in Lothar. So, yeah, no, the fact they went for a field goal, I was like, okay, we're, we're golden. We got a chance at this. If you, it was a bad decision right from the beginning because with the amount of time that was on the clock, if you go for the touchdown, you don't get it. You get stopped on the one. Um, you still have the defense to make three plays. And if and a the shot Riders, at the safety, yeah, you have you have a shot at the safety with the Riders' offensive line, who's going to need to push the ball at that point. There's a good chance you get a hold in the end zone, which is the safety, and you take the lead so i mean i get why bobby dice kicked the field goal um but it was way too conservative of a play call and just if there was less time on the clock if there was you know only like 30 seconds on the clock um or or less than that then sure kick the field goal but with how much time was on there they still could have had another possession and got the ball to start on the rider side of the field and kick a field goal that way. So yeah, it was, that was a bad, bad call. Um, again, it was playing not to lose as opposed to playing to win because in the CFL, even if your team's getting stopped on third and short and second and short, like they were most of the game and the riders have had a pretty good, uh, um, record of stopping teams on third and one this year. A yard in the CFL should be a gimme. You should always be trusting your offense to get one yard every single time. So I didn't like that for, for Bobby Dice. Obviously, the Ryder fan in me liked that uh, from Bobby Dice, but it was, no, that's I, I didn't like it. Nobody on Twitter really said it perfectly. They said that the Ryder's decision to go for third and one deep in their own zone was a great play call and terrible execution. And Bobby Dice's decision to kick the field goal was great execution, terrible play call. And it's absolutely right. And both both were the, the opposite. They go for it was the right call on both ends. We saw what happens if you if you mess up, but you still gotta have faith in your team to get a yard, especially when you got a mobile quarterback behind you. you know, questionable at best, but we'll take it. You know what the true a bad play call of that uh, game was? Stop Not having it. enough. I know where you're going. Not have enough fencing to keep the sheep in. <laughs> that was the best part of halftime. We we went over to uh, behind the Red Blacks bench for halftime. Um, Clint and Ashley and Kaylee were in uh, Ottawa Red Blacks fans from Ottawa for the game. And I uh, went to go uh, hang out with them. And then the sheep got loose. So we all just stopped talking and watched the sheep. That was the best part of halftime. My, my favorite part about the entire thing is when the sheep made it all the way to the for, uh, other uh, end zone and the cheer that went up. <laughs> like it scored a touchdown. It was amazing. Everyone yeah, stopped I, watching the kids trying to wa- ride the sheep. Everyone started just watching. The know, sheep run around. I, I love watching the little kids biff off and, and like just hit the turf hard when they're holding on to those sheep. There's something about that. It's just, it's so entertaining. It's fun. Uh, they got the helmets and pads on and everything. So they're fine. So that's why, you know, it's, it, I find it funny. Um, but I love that event. It's, it's pretty cool. And, we got the best part of it, a loose sheep. So that was fun. I, I got to give props for props, dude. John Hodge for three donation nicknamed it Corey Sheep. And I laughed harder than I probably should have at that point. <laughs> Pretty good. Well, that's the opening kickoff presented by Kathy Fetchin of Royal LePage Regina Realty. We're going to jump to our Churchill Brewing Company odds and end zones where we take a look around the CFL and a couple of the other things going on in the league. And I want to pose a question to you guys because we've seen a lot of quarterbacks hurt this year. And in the Toronto game against the Stamps, Stamps, boo, beating the Argos, Argos first loss of the year. Um, Chad Kelly had a, uh, what was that, an ankle injury? 
Um, said he was good to go for the second half. Ryan Dinwiddie kept him out, said, no, we're going to go with our backup. And my question to you guys is didn't, did Ryan Dinwiddie do the right thing by playing the long game as opposed to this one game? Yes. Not a they're question in my moon, mind. They're basically moonwalking into the playoffs in first place in the East right now. So why injure your meal ticket? Sure, could he play? Probably. Could that inj- ankle get hurt more? Yeah. So who cares? Sacrif- sacrifice the pond to take the chessboard. That's all you got to do. When, and you look at it from their scheduling point of view. After next, they've got Ottawa this week, and then they're on a bye. Their third bye through the first half of the season. They've got a long second half of the season. That's it for them. Their buys are done. This is a chance to get him healthy before what will be a long stretch of football. You got to play. You got to play that long game. They've got a three-game lead on on the next spot in the in the east and nobody's looking all that scary out there what do they have to be worried about like greg said they're basically moonwalking into that you can book the eastern conference or eastern final at at bmo already it's it's going to be there um the bombers absolutely crushed bc um don't tell me that was just a regular game that for for Winnipeg, that was a revenge game. Uh, they really wanted to stick it to BC after getting absolutely smoked by them earlier. Put up fifty points on them. Is that where we're at now in the CFL? Is that with Vernon Adams hurt, BC is now second fiddle to Winnipeg and the Winnipeg we saw in 2019, 2021, and most of 2022. Are they back? Winnipeg's a good team. They've always have been. They're getting older. They're getting a tad slower, but they're still a very good team. Did they come up ready to punch someone in the mouth after they got the doors blown off them by BC and after losing to Ottawa? Probably because everyone was talking about has Winnipeg lost a step. Ooh, Winnipeg's not scary. So they had to come out and punch someone in the face. Fortunately, it's BC. Hopefully in a couple of weeks, they're back to looking old and slow. And Stanley Bryant looks like he's Stanley from the office sleeping in a chair. And we're, we're fine. But Winnipeg's still Winnipeg. And they still got a good team. Biggest difference between that first game and the, the most recent game, other than the, the injury to Vernon Adams, or, uh, was, the, was the fact that Kenny Lawler's back. I think he brings a lot to their offense. He's Zach Caleros' so, uh what do you call it? Security blanket now. He's a big reason why that offense will get better. But this this is a one-off to me for BC. They still have a championship-level defense that has played out of their minds through the first half of the season. I don't think they're going to be giving up a 50-burger again anytime soon. This was a statement game for Winnipeg and a, oh, well, we'll get them next week from, from the BC Lions. All right, going to the other uh, uh, cat, the other feline team. Uh, Tommy Condell uh, fired, well, mutually parted ways with the Hamilton Tiger Cats, their offensive coordinator, on their bye week. Second straight week we've seen the team on the bye get rid of their offensive coordinator. Is this going to change anything in Hamilton, uh, despite the fact that they have their top two quarterbacks out? Not really. No. Okay, let's see what uh, what they can do with a third-string quarterback and a new OC. It's still a third-string quarterback. Hamilton is up against it. Fortunately, they are in the East, but still, they're third looking in at, well, looking in behind Ottawa and Montreal and Toronto. Like They're, they're fighting for that third spot, and it's going to be a tough one. As long as Taylor Powell is behind center in that game, I don't think anybody has to fear the Hamilton Tiger Cats right now. No, no change in OC is going to affect that whatsoever. And given it, it appears the injury to Bo Levi is likely longer than your six-game injured list, Hamilton's in trouble. And when they're hosting the Grey Cup, you know, we've said this before, it sucks to see a team hosting the Grey Cup 
not be great out of the gate. We did it last year, you know, coming down the stretch. Hamilton needs a turnaround. It's not going to be with Taylor Powell. No, sticking with the Ticats, everybody is talking now. I've seen this across Facebook, Twitter, social media, fans going crazy. There's going to be an Eastern crossover this year. That's how good the East is. Ah, um, no. Okay, well, the second best team is four and three. Um, the other two teams are under 500. Um, have you seen Hamilton with Taylor Powell? They're not, you need all four teams to be better than the Riders and Calgary. And that's simply not going to happen. So do you guys buy into this? We might see an Eastern crossover this year because I sure don't. I don't see it happening. It's it's a sharp drop off. Once you, you got Toronto, then it's fairly sharp drop off to Montreal, and then another steep drop off to either Hamilton or Ottawa. I don't see Ottawa or Hamilton being better than us or Calgary at this point. I just don't see it. Outside of Hamilton, who has played six divisional games. None of the others have played more than three or more than four. There is a lot of divisional games left to go and things would have to go perfectly for all four teams to finish above the third in the West. You're, you're not talking about the, the West division where there's five teams and, you know, four of them can beat up on one of them. Edmonton. Um, that's not the same out there. You have to have all four continually winning. And that's not going to happen with East versus East games. And a lot of those, you know, who, who's going to who's gonna finish ahead of Calgary and Saskatchewan? I can't see Hamilton doing it. I can't see Ottawa doing it. Montreal, yeah, they'll, they'll finish second. And they'll probably be a higher uh, standing spot than either of us. But it's just that they don't have enough horses out in the East to make that happen. It's statistically less likely than it is with a Western crossover. Okay, Steve, I know you've been waiting for this one. Is uh, your favorite quarterback of all time is now officially a free agent. Chris Strevler has been cut from the New York Jets uh, wave. You're lucky uh, we're on TV now, and I can't, I, I can't, you know, give you the one-finger salute anymore. Apparently that's frowned upon. Uh, um, I, I want to say you're lucky that I had no, I didn't have enough time between I found out when he was cut <laughs> to now, or there would have been a video package. Oh, that's when he signs. I had the, I had the, I had the, the music CFL. downloaded. You have you have time when he signs back in the CFL. So, where in the CFL will we see Chris Strevler? Will we see but him in the CFL? Before, before we get too excited, somebody has already tweeted out. I I want to say it was uh, Naylor, but I could be wrong. Um, his issue in the NFL is injury related, and it's unlikely. Thank God we will see him in the CFL in 2023 that he's going to be getting an injury settlement in the NFL and he'll look to his future next season. So his future team in the CFL is nobody. And that is right where he belongs up here. I hope he has a long and healthy career in the NFL. I just love your disdain for him. That, that's my With favorite the Green part. Bay Packers. I wish I could. I wish I could understand. I don't know why I hate the man, but I hate the man with every fiber of my being. You wish you looked that good in a fur coat. I think we all do, to yeah. be fair. That that could be part of it. It could be pure jealousy. I don't know what it is. But I will never... And the, the constant retweets and tweets and tags just make my hate feel stronger. So please continue that. I will hate the man even more for all of us. May his NFL career last forever. This revolution will be televised. <laughs> one day, one day. All right. Well, let's let's start I looking will, ahead here. Get back that. to talking about the rider. If he ever signs in Saskatchewan, I will be the first one to get a Strebler jersey, because I know that means he'll be out the door just as fast. So, I'll do it. There will be a Strebler rider jersey if he ever signs. All right. I'm holding you to that. Um, so am I. Perfect. Let's, uh, 
let's let's get back to talking about the riders here and their upcoming game against Montreal on Friday. Very short turnaround, especially when they have to travel to Montreal, which this team very rarely does well when they travel out to to Montreal. You know, that old uh, St. Catherine's flu uh, happens to hit the team every once in a while. Um, but it's the only time that they're going to face Cody Fajardo this year since uh, Montreal doesn't travel to Saskatchewan. Um, so we have the big storylines that everybody's going to be talking about this week because that's the easy thing to do. And uh, I didn't feel like putting too much work into this. So um, Fajardo versus Shiver's defense. They went up against each other for the last few seasons. Who do you have favored in that matchup? The defense. I'm. Everyone knows what Cody does. And I think they're going to force him into the situations that Cody does not enjoy. He's going to do that left-hand turn, and I'm going to. Is he going to get hit again? Because he lost that touchdown, and then Montreal almost, uh, you know, blew that game um, thanks to that spin move from Cody Fajardo. If anyone knows how to play, it's gonna it's gonna be the Riders defense. So I think Fajardo's in for a long game. I mean, we saw what this defense can do against high quality offenses in in Toronto, even Winnipeg, BC. They've been playing lights out football. I would put them up against anybody, and I will absolutely put them up against Cody Fajardo. Blitz them hard from the blind side and watch him run into those sacks all day long. With that that dipsy doodle spin of his, I I look forward to seeing it work in our favor for once, because you know he's gonna do it. We all know he's gonna do it. It's his only move back there. Plan for it, and you'll be fine. He's not the mobile quarterback he once was. He's not the the guy that we need to fear anymore. Give me that defense all day long. All right. Well, we have. Uh quite the contrast in coaches in this one. You have Jason Moss from Montreal wears his emotions on his sleeve. Um, you have Craig Dickinson, who is usually pretty calm, pretty well-mannered on the sideline. You don't see him, you know, lose it like Jason Moss does. Who do you give the advantage to here in coaching? I give this one to Moss and I think it's, well, it's no secret what I think we all think about Dickinson as a head coach. Um, I think Moss is going to come into this game with a chip on his shoulder. He took a lot of the rightfully wrong, the scapegoat of uh, what happened with this, with this team, especially last year. And I think this is going to be his revenge game. He is going to do what he can to try to put the foot on the, next to the riders remember what i said about the riders and taking that defense over any offense i'm gonna take any head coach over craig dickinson there's no we we haven't really been subtle about our disdain for the his coaching decisions of late i i have to go with with moss on the coaching side he's he's the better head coach and there's no question in my mind Oh no, Alex! <laughs> we just lost, lost Alex. Oh, uh, well, Greg, your moment to shine. You get to host. The, oh no, it's not even the IT guy that I can make fun of for dropping out. <laughs> usually, when you drop out, it's the joke about the IT guy not having his stuff together. But now, now, it's, now Alex. it's the media guy. It's you the know, media, it's the guy, media the broadcasting guy. guy. Yeah. It could be worse. It could be the IT is. guy doing this. Hey, that's exactly what I just said. <laughs> I see. I wouldn't know because I wasn't here. Yeah, my Wi-Fi just absolutely crashed on me. I think it's because my wife's watching something while she's trying to go to sleep. <laughs> anyway, sorry about that, guys. That's all right. No worries. Uh, I just said Jason Moss over Craig Dickinson. We were waiting for your next call and silence. Yeah, I, I had his looks. <laughs> um. <laughs> The thing about Moss and Dickinson is that 
I don't I, like. I don't know. I don't know if I want to give someone or pick one over the other. Um, I think both have good qualities. I think both have qualities that they can work on. Um, but I think with this game and being Montreal, that Craig Dickinson almost has to have a perfect game to win. Like he's got to have a perfectly coached game. The special teams have to be better than they have been the last couple of games. They've been awful. This game against Ottawa, terrible. Mario Alford didn't get anything until the very last time he touched the ball, which ended up being the most important time. But that's a couple of games in a row that Craig Dickinson, the special teams guru, has had very poor special teams. He's got to shore that up. If he can do that, then I'm not too terribly worried about this game. Um the next point that we have written down here is one thing that I am a little bit worried about um, for this game, but I, I I guess I lean Dickinson on this one just because I think he has more to prove, I guess. I don't know. Just a weird feeling, I guess. Um, but that talking point I was mentioning is uh, Sean Lemon had hey, a buddy. great game had a great game for Montreal last week uh two sacks the forced fumble and just looked like the old lemonator uh and with the Riders offensive line problems that they've had this year we got to talk about the tackles who had a pretty good game against Ottawa can those offensive tackles contain Sean Lemon and make him not a factor in this game the good the good news is about Sean Lemon you know he's got one mission and one mission only, and that is to rush the quarterback. So you don't need to worry about him dropping back into coverage and then someone else coming on you. You you can key in on Sean Lemon. Just a matter of can you key in on him enough so that you don't take a penalty or you don't get bull rushed or you don't uh, bite a swim when you shouldn't. I... I respect the man as much as he probably thinks I don't. <laughs> as much as him and I have gone at it. You're you're not a big fan of his. I'm it's not no, it's not that I'm not a fan of his. I made a very accurate observation that he's been on many teams in his he's short only one CFL behind, career. He's only one behind Kevin Glenn now. Yeah, he he's one away from a full Glenn. And he hasn't had the long career that Kevin Glenn does. And he is a very productive player. So did I cast an aspersion of maybe why? Maybe. I don't know. Things were said. The fact (laughs) remains that Sean Lemon is a very good football player. A very productive football player. And the fact that Calgary walked away from a player like him blows my mind, considering they could use a player of his caliber. So Sean Lemon will be a factor. But you know, when it comes to him, you know what his game is. It's just a matter of can you get the personnel to where you need it to be to keep him at bay. And I hope the writers can figure it out because if not, it's going to be a long day for Mason Fine. I think you brought up the key point that the one thing Sean Lemon does, and he does it very well, is he rushes the quarterback. You need to exploit that. You need to exploit the heck out of that Basically, game plan as if he's blitzing from his side all game long. Throw screens, throw those hitch passes, quick screens, quick plays, get the ball out of Fine's hands. You don't have to worry about it. Make him start to question that that full-on rush, and it'll give you the time that you need. I Am I worried? Absolutely. Look what he did last week. But look what we did against a fairly solid defensive line in Ottawa. And, you know... I'm not as scared as I think I would have been looking at the stat. Yeah, if you get Mason Fine rolling out, uh, throwing some uh, some out routes to the other side of the field, going away from Sean Lemon where you're moving him away from there, um, I think that's where they can have a lot of success. And then you can also attack Sean Lemon, run towards that side, have him overcommit while he's rushing the passer. He's going to be focused on so much about getting upfield and trying to keep the pocket contained that you can probably run 
through the gap there. So I'm, I'm curious to see how Kelly Jeffrey is going to game plan for this. Um, had a good, good uh, play calling week last week against Ottawa. Uh, let's see how he builds upon over that. Um, and now what we've been doing every week here, pick an impact player from both sides for the riders, offense and defense. I won't steal your thunder this week, Greg. I won't take your guy. Uh, you guys can go ahead first. Let's start with the offense. Who's going to be kind of the X factor impact player for the riders this week on offense. I'm going for uh, recent bi- recency bias. I think Jerry Stern's going to get his first touchdown as a CPL player. Uh, I liked everything, like like I said earlier, I like everything he's done. He seems to have a grasp on what to do on those little things. And I think he's going to keep it going this week, especially on a short week. Uh, there's not going to be a lot of practice. So basically what they did last week is going to have to carry over into this week. Took one one person to to take the name I was going with. He didn't even have to do it, Alex. I mean, Stearns is the obvious choice, what he did last week. He's, he's that guy that they're going to trust with those short things. And as I mentioned against John Lemon, that's what you need. So if if Stearns isn't available, I'm going to go, you know, way off the deep end here and pick an unproductive player and go with Sean Bain Jr. He's just, he's just been quiet all year. I think he needs a breakout game. Yeah, that'd be nice to see, wouldn't it? Yeah. It's about time. He should have been, cool. been cut. He should have been cut. He should have been cut. I told you guys. <laughs> Still shaking my head over that. Um, Jamal Morrow. The run game has been non-existent the last couple games. He's had a couple rough games going into... Last week wasn't rough. He had that touchdown. Um, But, you know, having the fumble in touchdown Atlantic on the goal line, not getting very many yards lately. After starting the season so well, uh, if they're going to have good success in this game and and keep the ball moving quite a bit. The run game is going to have to pick up the slack a little bit. So I think it's got to be Jamal Morrow on defense. Who do you guys think? You can have this one, Steve. I mean, we saw We saw what he did this week. I'm going back to Anthony, Anthony Lanier. You need another big game from him. You need to keep, keep in Cody Fajardo's head all day long. We know firsthand what happens if you get in his head early. And Lanier's the guy to do that. I, I'm going with uh, uh, with uh, my favorite phrase of any Ryder game right now, uh, F and Nick Marshall. I think uh, Cody's going to serve one up, or if not two. And I think uh, Marshall is going to be the recipient of one of those because they've got some good receivers there. So if Cody's under any kind of pressure, I think there's going to be a ball that's uh, at a trajectory that's going to be very easy for one of our defensive backs to get to. And I'm going with one of those defensive backs, not sure which one, but whoever is covering Austin Mack. Austin Mack is kind of, he's this year's uh, Dalton Schoen. He's kind of taken the league by storm, and he's been a great find for the Montreal offense, especially with, you know, Greg Ellingson not playing at all yet this year. Whoever's on him has to be on him. It, it can't I be. I basically start him every week in fantasy. I start him every week. Oh, yeah, you pretty much have to. He's putting up 100 yards almost every single game. Um, you just, he's got a, whoever's covering him. Um, and play a little bit more man on him if you have to. The zone that the Riders were running early in, in the year, they're going to pick that apart if they have the time to do it. And Cody has a better offensive line this year than he did last year. Not by much, um, but over the last couple of games, they've been a little bit better. If he has time, then he'll be able to pick apart a zone defense. So whichever whichever defensive back, whether it's uh, whether it's Nick Marshall on the outside, whether it's Deontay Williams or Amari Henderson in the slot, uh, it's got to be one of those. Maybe it's Derek Moncrief, um, who's been kind of quiet most of the season. Maybe that's the breakout game as you have him on on Austin Mack and have him kind of slow him down a little bit. So that's who I'm going with uh, on defense. Now, it's Greg's favorite part of the show, where we guess randomly at things we've never seen before and take the spread for this week's games, uh, starting with the very first game of the week, which, oh boy, um, Winnipeg at Edmonton. I'm going to tell you guys right now, it's early in the week, but all the lines except for the Ottawa-Toronto game have had movement. So that tells you there's already been 
some money put on these games. Okay, so Winnipeg at Edmonton. Uh, first game for Edmonton with Trey Ford starting at quarterback. Uh, no Take free Trey Ford. Yeah, no um, Stephen McAdoo calling plays. It's going to be Jarius Jackson uh, running the offense for the Elks. They're still on the uh, guaranteed win night promo that they've been running all season long. I'm not going to ask, is this the week that they finally win? Because they're not going to. It's um, not this I'm, week. No. Um, I'm going to guess that the spread is Winnipeg is favored by 12 and a half. Started at 10 and a half, went to 12 and a half. I'm going to go the other way. I'm going to go started at 12 and a half, 12, 12, and down to 11. It started at 11. It has gone up a point or half a point in 11 days. Not 11 days, one day, sorry. It's 11 and a half. Um, the points have gone up, though, three points. So not only do people think Winnipeg's going to win, they think Winnipeg's going to win by more than that. So, yeah, a, a bet of $100 will win you $520 on Edmonton. So if you feel like gambling, there you go. They're I plus do not. 520. If, if you have, you know, I don't care money, then I would absolutely do that because that's a great return. Um, they've, yeah, they've, almost gained, they've almost gained $200. They started at plus 363. They're now wow. plus that's a huge. That's a huge change. This feels so, like the Washington Generals versus the Harlem Globetrotters. Yeah, you, you think eventually they're going to win. It's not going to happen in front of you. There, there's no way Edmonton wins. What None. do you mean you took all I your money and put due. it on the Washington Generals? <laughs> I thought they were due. And there's our Simpsons, Simpsons reference of the week. <laughs> You're welcome. Uh, yeah, Winnipeg, Winnipeg covers easily. Easily. Yeah. Um, second game, Saskatchewan at Montreal. I'm going to say Montreal is probably favored. Um, started at, we'll go with two and a half, has moved to three and a half. I'm going to go started at four, up to five and a half. Four and a half. You guys are moving in the wrong direction. Started at Montreal minus five. It's now uh, Montreal minus four and a half. Trending in the riders' favor right now. I don't like Montreal by that many points. For for the spread, I think the riders keep it a field goal game for sure. I think the riders probably win it outright, actually. Uh so yeah, I would uh I'd bet on the riders. Uh, I'm taking yeah, the riders are you're gonna give me points. Please give me points in Saskatchewan's favor. Because I yeah, I'm Ryder? with you. I think they win this one outright. Well, riders are plus 180 on the money line. So you're getting a decent return on your investment on that one. So, yeah, I'm also taking, I'm going with the riders and I'm going out right as well. All right. The third game of the week, which uh, is a pretty, uh, you know, if the riders win on Friday night, this game, this third game of the week has a little bit more importance on both sides of things with Calgary at BC. Um, Calgary sitting one game behind the Riders. The Riders sitting two games behind BC. So, I mean, it's one of those things where you want to keep Calgary at bay uh, and fend them off for that third spot in the playoffs. But if you can possibly gain some ground on BC, that's not a bad thing. So, it's one of those, I guess you hope for the lower place standing team to win. Tie. And Tie. you hope that... I mean, it's all dependent on if the Riders win. Like, if the Riders win, then, yeah, you want Calgary to win a little bit more. Um, but if they lose, you definitely don't want Calgary to win, right? So, um, we'll say that BC uh, started out minus three, is now at minus two and a half, is my guess. I'm going to say they started at minus five and gone to minus six and uh, Steve, you kind of got a reverse. It's uh, started off at minus six and a half BC. It's now minus five and a half. Money is coming in on Calgary. See, I thought the spread would be a little bit more favoring Calgary after knocking off Toronto last week. That was my guess. 
Um, yeah, but Calgary didn't win that. Toronto lost. That's how the it fact works remain- in, in Calgary, isn't it? Yeah, but the fact remains, though, Calgary is ga- is gaining on BC for some reason. I, I I thought neither game last week did did either team any favors. The fact that BC is now trending downwards just surprises me. Well, I mean, if Calgary can keep their run game going, they're going to be a tough team to beat, doesn't matter who they play, because that's a very good run game. And if you can give, you know, Diedrich Mills and once he returns, Kadeem Carey, you know, 20 plus touches uh, between the two of them and each of them get probably get close to 100 yards like you're, you're laughing because that's going to mask a lot of the, the things that Jake Mayer is not good at. And there's plenty of it that he's not good at. Um, like playing quarterback? Yeah, mostly. Yeah, unless his receiver is 10 yards open. Whatever whatever the Stamps did against the Riders and then the following week, um, they got the receivers open. And I'm talking like 10, 15, 20 yards open. Wide open receivers. And Jake Mayer can hit those passes. They're a little bit low to the ground, but he can still make them. But when a guy's being covered, he can't make that throw. And th- th- that you're just... You're not a pro quarterback to me if you if you can't make that throw. Um, not saying you have to make all of them, but there's nothing special about Mayer. Um, I'll take BC with the points. I feel like we've said that before. Yeah, once or twice. Yeah. Give me BC yeah, in the points. Give me whatever spread. Give me whatever spread with BC. Uh, yeah, I think BC is. I like BC's defense against Calgary's offense every day of the week. So yeah, give me that spread with BC as well. And they just gave up 50 points, so you know that's not going to happen again. Um, and final game of the week, Ottawa at Toronto. I'm going to this guess. This one has not that, moved. Has not moved. That uh, Toronto is favored by, we'll go with six and a half. I'm going to go seven and a half. Oh, you guys are both low. Ten and a half, right out of the gate. Ooh, wow. Over with an over under of dang near 50, 48 and a half. That's the highest over under in this game as well. In the That's a lot of Lewis Ward field goals. Yeah, give me the under on that. I I think Toronto's that's a big number though. That's my only concern is that's a huge number. I think Toronto could probably cover the spread, but I don't know how you get to that over under number. But that's still two digits. Yeah, then against Ottawa. Uh, yeah, I think Toronto's got it. I'm, I'm going to go Toronto wins, but I don't think they cover. Ottawa's done a great job lately of keeping every game close. Actually, I, I think they keep it another close game. Their defense will do something to, to keep, their, keep them in it. And they'll have another shot for a late comeback. But they've had what three out of four games in a row. They've had a defensive touchdown for the Ottawa Redblacks. Like their defense is playing at a pretty good rate right now. They'll keep it close. I don't think they win, but they'll they'll definitely cover that spread for sure. Toronto's so. minus four thirty. Like uh, yeah, Toronto money line is minus four thirty seven. Ottawa's plus three fifty three. Like that's just nuts. I I don't know why that number is so out of whack. Well, it should be another. Another interesting week in the CFL, as it was again this week with, uh, you know, the Riders kind of just finding a way to figure it out despite kind of shooting themselves in the foot most of that second half, uh, keeping Ottawa in that game. But uh, a tough test against Montreal coming up this week. Uh, Montreal clearly the second best team in the East and no love lost between the Riders, their coaching staff and Cody Fajardo. So I'm I'm really really intrigued by this game. Um, I think it'll be. Uh, I mean, Cody's going to want to play his best game of the year in this game to show the Riders that they made the wrong decision. So, when you see a motivated guy, motivated guy like that, usually they play a pretty good game. So I, I expect this game to be pretty tight back and forth for the Riders against Montreal. Hopefully they come out with the win. And uh, I mean, they've had better success in Montreal in the recent past than they have, you know, over the long-term history of traveling out to Montreal. So should be a good game. I'm looking forward to it. Hope you guys are as well. And we'll uh, 
we'll recap that next week here on the Piffles podcast and uh, look forward to the following week after that, a game against BC. So that's, uh, you know, another tough one coming up for the Riders. Tough, uh, tough schedule coming up here going into Labor Day and the Banjo Bowl. But all games that you're going to have, have to uh, find a way to win at some point, whether in the regular season or playoffs anyway. So we'll see. We'll get a real test and, and see what this team's really made of over the next month here in Ryderville. But that'll do it for us this week here on the Piffles Podcast. Of course, Piffles Podcast is brought, brought to you by our great friends at Dairy Queen on Elvinstone Street and Sass Drive in Regina. Special thanks, as always, go out to Kathy Festion of Royal LePage Regina Realty, Churchill Brewing Company for their support making the show possible. And again, thank you to Sastel Max and to everybody watching on Sastel Max On Demand. We're really excited to uh, share more with Rider Nation and get to, uh, to meet more Rider fans in the future. This is Ghost Behind Your Mind by Tyler Gilbert. <laughs>